it's only seven days till Christmas. Now, there are a var- that was a great response. I heard someone go, wow. There's like two responses to this. There's like, ee! and that's my little eight-year-old. She's so excited. And then there's the, really? Like, what, what, weren't we just at Christmas? <laughs> like, just recently? It's, it's so close, and I hope you've got some time set aside for some fun, some rest, maybe some travel, uh, and some time with your family. Uh, I'm going to spend some time with my family, and one thing that my family does a lot is we sit around, and we like to, to still tell stories on each other from the old days. You ever do that? And you sit around, and you just sell each other out. Remember that time so-and-so snuck out of the house? You did what? Yes, Mom, you didn't supposed to know about that. Like, that's that whole thing going on. And I don't know why, but in my family... I tend to be the butt of a lot of the stories. Like, there's always people telling stories on me. And so, since that's about to go down in my life, I thought this morning I'd start with a little story of someone else from my family. Would that be all right with you guys? Can I? So, today is actually my dad's birthday. My dad turns 58 today. And, uh, and so, in honor of my dad, uh, I want to sell my dad out on something. Okay? Is that cool? He'll, he's, he's fine with it. He's totally cool. He'll find out later if he listens to the podcast. Um, but uh, so, so here's the thing. My dad, I love my dad. He's a great, great, great man. Um, and I think I learned a lot from my dad. I got a lot, inherited a lot from my dad. My dad's very mechanically minded. He's musically uh, gifted. He loves the outdoors. Those are all things that I, I, I like to think I kind of get from my dad. Uh, my dad's actually a preacher, too which if you'd have told like 15-year-old version of, of Chris that Chris was going to one day grow up and be a preacher, I'd be like, uh, actually, I can't tell you what I would have said then because it wouldn't be appropriate right here. And you know, it's like, I'm not, definitely not doing this, but here I am. And so there's a lot of things that I got from my dad uh, that, that I think are pretty good. Uh, one thing, though, that I think I got from my dad, my dad tends to be pretty forgetful, pretty absent-minded. You ever see the Nutty Professor movie, like or like the old one, like, man, like this guy's like, just all over the place. And here's the thing, there's so much going on up here, you know, you can't keep it all straight. That's what happens. My dad had a couple of important jobs for us growing up. And uh, one thing was he would take us to school every day. Now, uh, this is actually like another story for another day, but like, I don't think I was ever to school on time. And like in my whole school career, until I started driving myself to school, dad had me late. I was the first kid in my class who knew what the word tardy meant. Like I was always late, but that's another story. Having dropped us off at school, he had another really important job, which was to pick us up from school after school. I just need to poll the audience real quick. Did anybody else have a parent that would just like routinely forget to pick them up for school? Is that, okay, yeah, so I'm not alone. Like we could start a support group and <laughs> mom's sitting right next to you. Um, you're like, you know, it, come on. And so like you would think like, these are your kids. Like surely, surely you just dropped them off like eight hours ago. Surely you're going to remember to come back and get me. But I mean, you know, I'll be standing there, me and my brother on the sidewalk. All my friends are gone and like the school buses are all coming back now. And we're just like, so we would do, we knew the drill. We didn't panic. We just walked to the office and the lady in the office would peek up from whatever she was doing. Oh, happened again? Yeah, we'll just make that phone call. (laughs) And like, remember, this is before cell phones. So if dad's not in the office, Forget about it. Like, I mean, I had teachers take me home. So this is, this is my dad. And so like here, I, my dad's like one of the greatest men that I know. I really mean that. If you know my dad, you know that's true. But come on, man, set an alarm or something. Like your kids are at school. I, <laughs> I turned out fine. I'm fine. I promise I'm fine. But I say that just to kind of start with an idea this morning. And it's gonna kind of get us going and, and through the rest of our time together. And that is this. No one likes to be forgotten. You ever been forgotten? It's not cool. Like, what? Like, I thought I was important. Oh, I guess, I guess not. No one likes to be forgotten. And, 
and I think we started to try to establish that at an early age. I mean, we, we, we do everything we can as children to be remembered. That's why kids act up in class, not because they have ADD or because they don't like math. It's because they want the teacher to know their name. Like, that's one of my theories. I know there's other things that really do get involved. But, like, we really, we want to be remembered. We want to make a statement. That's why when you go to a public park and you see, like, a picnic table, you'll see, like, written in a big Sharpie marker, Eddie Jones was here, 1997. You're like, man, I was... You're really sticking that out, Eddie. Like, glad you wrote your name there. Carved into a tree. Robert loves Renee, you know? Deeply ingrained, forever. Ruined the tree. It's fine. We wanted you to know we're here. We don't want to be forgotten. Yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday morning, uh, I was uh, with uh, Boy Scouts. I'm a leader with a local Boy Scout troop, and we were down at the Wilmington National Cemetery. You ever notice that place? You go down Market Street toward downtown. It's on the right side, just past uh, 23rd Street. Beautiful cemetery, and it's a national cemetery. And so buried there are over 5,000 uh, men and women from the military, armed forces. And, and so uh, I was there for a wreath-laying ceremony for this organization that does that every year. Honestly, it was, I, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been before. And it was, it was very, uh, man, it was just kind of, it, it was touching. And to be reminded of just the sacrifice people made. And the whole theme of the day was basically, and someone said this like five different times, we're not here to decorate a grave. We're here to remember a life. No one wants to be forgotten, but it's so easy for in our lives to feel like maybe no one noticed, no one saw, maybe I was forgotten. We're in this final week of our Christmas series, Christmas for Misfits. If you missed it, uh, basically, I won't go over the whole thing. You can catch up on our, on our podcast online, but uh, you know, the, there's this idea that we kind of borrowed from. Remember the old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation movie back in the day? It was always on TV, and, and there's this section of the movie where we meet these toys and they're all jacked up they're broken they're they got malfunction they're deformed they do things they're not supposed to do and so the idea is like they were just left behind there was no kid that wanted to play with them and and they are kind of exiled to this island of misfit toys remember this and so the island of misfit toys is this kind of place that rudolph and the main characters come across and they find that these toys just feel left behind and and honestly forgotten. And so throughout this series, we've been taking this concept of misfits, and I didn't make this up. It's something that people have been saying for years now. But people have taken the concept of the island of misfit toys, and we've realized that when the church is functioning properly, we are just that. We are an island for misfits. Because let's, let's be honest, we're, none of us are perfect. And we're in imperfect situations and circumstances and we have brokenness in our life and things just don't go the way that sometimes that we wish that they would. And then other times we just do bad things. We sin and we do things that are kind of, you know, not cool with God. And all of these things kind of alienate us from either God or other people or relationships. And in one way or the other, we become misfits. And through the church and specifically through Jesus' love and the story that we celebrate at Christmas as Christians, like this story is a story of God looking into our lives and saying, I know that you're messed up. I know that you're broken. I know that you're not perfect. I know that you're a misfit, but I can make you whole or I can give you purpose. So this week, as we kind of wrap up this idea, the final lesson from Christmas for Misfits and the final lesson from the island is, is starts here. No one wants to be forgotten. And where do we land with that? The toys on the island uh, of misfit toys, they thought Santa had forgotten them. They thought they'd never get played with. They thought they'd never end up on a kid's shelf or in their playroom. And I think often that's how we can feel in life. When we hit the lower moments of our life, we have these thoughts, and it doesn't always directly go to God. Sometimes the thought is like, man, does anybody even notice? 
Does anybody know what I'm going through? Does anybody care? Can somebody help me? Can someone at least give me some advice? Have you been there? Can someone at least guide me through this thing? And then I think when we get to the deeper, darker moments of our life, we do begin to think towards bigger things. And we say, is there even purpose in all this? And maybe you've been here. I know I have. God, have you forgotten me? Today we're going to take a look at the, the Bible for, as we do every week, for the answers to life's most important questions and, and address this question, this feeling of being forgotten and what is it that God has to say to the misfits as we seek him and as I think we, in general, whether you, you are here because you come every week or you just came for the first time with a friend or maybe you thought Star Wars was playing in here and you're like, this is a weird preview. Um, <laughs> like, whatever the case, I think we're all on some level wondering, yeah, but what about me? What about me? So uh, grab a Bible, if you will. Uh, we're going to have the, the scripture on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one before you leave. We've got free ones in the lobby. There's a little table as you exit this door. But, or flip over on the internet, get a Bible app, whatever, and scroll down. And we're going to be back in Luke this week. Luke is one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. There's four of them in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been in the book of Luke for this whole series. And so we started two weeks ago in Luke chapter 2. Then we fast-forwarded last week near the end of the book. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to visit uh, kind of the birth scene of Jesus one more time. We're going to play it forward just a little bit to just a few weeks after Jesus was born. Uh, the place where we pick up this week, Jesus has been born. Uh, this, the, the whole story that we studied in, in Luke chapter 2 two weeks ago, that has just ended. And we're picking up directly after that at verse 22. So Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And Mary and Joseph have taken this trip to the temple in Jerusalem. It's a good distance from the place that they were living at the time, which was called Nazareth, uh, near Bethlehem. You hear about Bethlehem and a lot of the Christmas songs and stuff. Uh, And Mary and Joseph have taken them to the temple. So that's where we jump in. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. Let's read. So when the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves and two young pigeons. I don't know if you really call that. It's kind of like a lot of legal jargon, but this is, this is the deal. This is what's happening. Um, this first little paragraph actually tells us not a lot about Jesus, but a lot about Mary and Joseph. In fact, what's cool about this story that we're getting into today is that the main character is not Jesus. The main character is a couple of other people that actually are kind of some unsung heroes of the Bible. Uh, And so we we start out first talking about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph uh, take their newborn baby to to, to Jerusalem. Now, it says that it's gone for this kind of, uh, this ceremony, this baby dedication that's required by the law. And there's a lot that you could say about this, a lot of reading that you could do about it. But the main idea is this, that as a sign of faith and thankfulness and commitment as a parent, what you would do, particularly with your firstborn son, this is a very patriarchal society, so, you know, male-led, uh, you, you would take uh, your firstborn son and you would take him to the temple and you would do what would be called um, a, a, a redeeming offering. It'd be called redeeming your firstborn son. And so you would take your son there and you would uh, you'd spend some of your, your hard-earned money on, on a goat or a sheep. Or if you didn't have very much money, it said in our passage, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And you would go to the temple and you'd offer a sacrifice of those animals. And this is what it was saying. It was saying to God, hey, you know what? We want to really thank you, God, for the gift of this firstborn son. 
We hope that he makes our family prosperous. And so to do this, we're going to sacrifice uh, these very valuable animals to you. It's part of the culture. It's what they would do. So that's kind of the idea of what's happening with Mary and Joseph here. But if you notice, it didn't say that Mary and Joseph were taken there to redeem their firstborn son. It said they were going to consecrate their firstborn son. And actually, that was kind of like a next level step that you could take as a parent. Most good Jewish families would go to redeem their firstborn son. But the next level step you could take would be to do this. You take your firstborn child to the temple, you meet with a priest, and you say, listen, we are so thankful that God has given us a son. And so as a show of thanksgiving and commitment to God, we are going to dedicate this child to the service of the Lord. Whether it's through the temple, as a priest, if they were from that, there was a specific group of families that could do that. Or whether it was as a teacher or in some other way. And so they said, we're going to dedicate, we're going to consecrate, was the word for it. We're going to consecrate our child for service to the Lord. Now, this is a step up because, on average, you would want your firstborn son to grow up and lead your family business. That's the goal. I mean, it's a very patriarchal society. The leading male in the family would be leading the family business, and you would be bringing up your sons as apprentices to later run the business. And if you go to consecrate your son, like Mary and Joseph were doing for Jesus, you're saying, you know what, God? We trust you with our family business. Maybe you'll provide us with another son. Maybe you'll provide us with another way. But off the top, we want to let you know this child is first and foremost yours for your service. Wow. So that's what they've done. This is this little side thing to teach you a little bit about what's happening here. So now we're jumping into the rest of the story. And I said we're going to meet two unsung heroes of the Christmas story. If you were to look at like uh, someone's nativity scene, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And you got the little baby Jesus in a manger. And you got Mary and Joseph and all these things. There's a lot of people in this scene. But the two people we're about to get into somehow never show up on people's mantelpiece. They, they never show up in their front yard as part of the nativity scene. There are really some unsung heroes. What's crazy is the wise men that are often in the scene, they didn't show up till like two years later, but they get to be in the scene on their camels and looking all regal. But these, uh, these two, they don't. They're, they're only a couple weeks removed from the actual birth. So let's just meet them real quick. As the story continues, uh, we meet our first unsung hero in verse 25. It just jumps right in. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And I don't know why, uh, but when I think about Simeon, um, I just, maybe it's because it's fresh on my mind because I just saw the new Star Wars movie uh, Friday night. But um, I picture the original Obi-Wan Kenobi from the old movies. You remember him? Like when I think of Simeon, that's who I picture. So if that helps you out, I meant to have a picture of him on the screen here. If that helps you out as I'm talking about Simeon, I want you, I want you to picture Obi-Wan talking through these lines because I think it would be great. But anyway, there's Simeon. We meet Simeon. We know from him that he's righteous and devout, and that's a kind of a description of him. We also can deduct from him that he probably is also a priest because the job that he's about to do was the job of a priest. And so as Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple, they meet Simeon. Let's look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 25. It says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow. Okay, first of all, Let's break that up. Let's just leave this on the screen for a minute. That word Messiah, maybe you've heard it. It's in a lot of Christmas songs. It's something you, you, you might hear talked about a lot, but uh, it's not a word we use a lot today. Uh, the word Messiah means anointed one or chosen one of God. Actually, that's an old Hebrew word. When you translate that word into Greek, which was the language that uh, these people were speaking in the first century, that word Messiah directly translates into the word Christ. 
uh, well, the Greek equivalent of Christ. And so the word Messiah and the word Christ are, are the same basic word. They mean the anointed one, the chosen one of God. And for generations, the Jewish people had been like living in this kind of oppressed state, uh, first by the Assyrian government, then by the Babylonian government. They had a couple years of, about 200 years of peace uh, of their own. But then the Roman government have moved in, and now they're living under the, the heavy taxation of the Roman government. And so for years, there have been these prophets that had spoken on behalf of God and said, there is going to be a chosen one, an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ, who's going to come and he's going to take care of things. He's going to be your leader. He's going to be your ruler. And it's really cool because Simeon might be the only person in history that kind of got a, a, a very clued in theme that, hey, listen, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. Now, for a guy who was a priest and very tuned into what God was doing, I mean, how cool would that have been? And, and he really was tuned into what the Holy Spirit was, was saying. That's God's Spirit interacting with our lives. And, and so much so that I think that that day when he came to work, in fact, we're going to see in a second, God's Spirit literally got guided his feet to the Messiah that day. Let's check it out in the next verse. I think it's verse uh, 27. It says, Moved by the Spirit, he, talking about Simeon, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, when Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, now this next little section is kind of a poetic prayer that he says, so check it out. Verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I love it. He's like, I'm ready to go. I've seen everything I need to see. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so we got to take a second just to take this moment in, because imagine how this scene must have felt to Mary and Joseph. Have you ever been on a long journey? And then you got there and suddenly you had to jump into the thing that you were going to go do. Maybe it was a birthday party you were driving to or, or maybe, maybe it was when you got dropped off at college or maybe it was just a trip that you took and you're just like, it's this long journey and it feels like you're in the car forever but then you get there and then you, you go. Now, so Mary and Joseph had just made this journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem and they're from Podunk town and they've walked into the big city. This would be, I mean, this would be like one of the outskirt towns of Wilmington, uh, Castle Hain or Burgall or one of these, these smaller towns and then and you've made this journey to like Raleigh or Charlotte and so you're used to a slower pace of life, you're used to less traffic, all that stuff. You walk into Jerusalem, boom, vendors everywhere, traffic's going on and you're just trying to find your place and I'm sure Joseph gets lost and Mary's like, it was a left up here, it was a left and you're, you're getting through and so they walk to the temple and they're a little bit overwhelmed with the whole situation and they walk in and they're like, okay, we're here to consecrate our son. This is a big deal. Pull it together. Okay. And you walk in and you're like, okay, we got to find a priest. We got to find a priest. We got to find a priest. And what happens? You go to find a priest, but the priest finds you. And they're like, ah, this is the baby I've been waiting for. Now you're Mary. And you're like, I say what? <laughs> Who are you again? Like, imagine it from their perspective and they walk in. But see, Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was special. We talked about that two weeks ago. Angels had come to them and confirmed with them that everything was going to be okay and that this was God's plan. So imagine what an affirming moment this would have been for Mary and Joseph. They're just like, wow, even the priest knew. Like, we just got here. We just, we just got here, and the priest was waiting for us. They didn't make an appointment, yet he knew that they were there. Really, really cool. And so he takes this baby. I can't emphasize. Have you ever held a human baby? Man, they are just about the most 
helpless creature on the planet, aren't they? I mean, they can't do anything for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't clean themselves. If they get cold, you know, you might roll over and just grab a blanket. A little baby's like, hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I need a blanket. And so this is, Simeon's holding this baby, but he doesn't see a baby. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. He sees Jesus for something so much more than a baby. And so he says this prayer that I just want to kind of sit on for a minute. Um, as he's praying this little prayer that we read a second ago, this is kind of the background that really is helpful to know. The nation of Israel has been a really oppressed people. They really have. I mentioned that, you know, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, now the Romans. And it's just been, they are kind of get stomped on. And think about world history and think about what the Jewish nation has dealt with even to this day. They've just constantly been a nation that's been kind of pushed down, pushed down. And so for generations, Jewish people, if you read through the Bible, like I'm pretty confident. I haven't actually counted this, so don't quote me on it. Don't tweet this, but think, you, know, you can do it on your own. But as I read through the Bible, one of the most common prayers that I see the Jewish people saying is something like this. God, where are you? These people are beating us up. These people are mistreating us. We're slaves now. Remember, the Egyptians were before all that. God, where are you? And everyone from the, the kings to the prophets to the common people say a prayer, something like this. God, are you there? God, have you forgotten your people? No one wants to be forgotten. And so the Jewish people had been in times where they might have, uh, you know, they'd done some of this to themselves. They had left God. They'd turned their backs on God. They had lived sinful lifestyles. They turned to false gods and are worshiping idols in different times. They'd done some of this to themselves. But then there's other things that just happened that they just really didn't have much control over. And that's a whole other story. And that's a lot of details. But all throughout this history, generations of people are crying out to God. God, have you forgotten us? God, are you there? God, please help us. God, please, please, please lend us a hand and Simeon when he sees this fragile baby says I've seen your salvation he sees Jesus what I love about this he sees Jesus for more than just a goo goo gaga baby he doesn't see as this cute I'm sure Jesus was a cute little baby he probably had cute little cheeks and those little knees with the dimples in them you know what I mean like the big fat sausage toes like he probably had that going on but Simeon didn't see that he saw something so much more. He saw the fulfillment of God's plan. And so let's just keep moving in verse 33. It says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, moms, okay, imagine you take your baby to the well baby checkup. And this is what the doctor says to you, okay? He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a weird thing to say to a mom when they brought their baby in. But here, here's the thing. like Simeon was very in touch with what God was doing. And when he realized who Jesus was, he saw a much, much bigger picture he says to her he's like lady i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not i'm just gonna shoot straight with you here this isn't going to be easy this baby's gonna challenge the way things are and as much as you love him you can't save him from that because his mission is bigger than you could ever imagine i just want you to prepare yourself for this ma'am 
And these words we'll find could not be more true because as Jesus rises uh, to, to uh, be this great Messiah that he came to earth to be, many will turn to him and make them their leader. Many will have their lives eternally changed. Some of us in this room today and those who believe in him will look to him as Savior and Lord. And those who don't look to him for that, or, you know, they may find it to be a stumbling block to their life. And they may reject him and all kinds of other things. And people's hearts will be exposed because of his message. And at the end of the day, Simeon's kind of prophecy about Jesus is completely true. All this so that God could show the world. That not only has he never forgotten us, he's got a plan to bring us back to him. See, God hasn't forgotten. And even in those thousands of years of waiting for a Messiah, in this moment, Simeon sees this. Here it is. Here it is. And so, this, this is crazy. Thus ends the story of uh, Obi-Wan in the Bible. Like, that's, Simeon's cameo is over. That's it. Uh, we don't hear anything else from Simeon. He said, like, okay, I'm good. I can die now. Like, so that's all we hear. But what we see, and I love it. I love that the Bible includes the story of Simeon because I think the fact that his story has been preserved just shows us another piece of the character of God, that he does care about individuals. And he cares about this man who had dedicated his life to his service in the temple. And he knew that this guy would be the guy who would one day be there to consecrate Jesus. So he stepped into his life and said, look, you've been waiting. The people have been waiting, and I want you to know. I'm coming, and I'm here. So that's, uh, that's Simeon. We, need our, we meet our next character, kind of like, boom. I love how the, some of these stories just jump into the next thing, so we're going to do the same thing. Verse 36, we meet our, our second unsung hero of the Christmas story. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. Now, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Can we just pause for a second and like feel sorry for this lady? Like this, is a, this is like a really predictable Nicholas Sparks novel. It's like, it's, this is a rough situation. I'm going to do some, some math for you here. Like this, this lady, at this time, people, when they got married, they were probably 15, 16 years old. Let's say she was 16 years old. I think that's kind of an average time. She's 16 years old. She's, they, they're married for seven years. So maybe she's, what, 23, if I'm doing the math right, and her husband dies. And so then she is single and a widow until she's 84. And so for like 60 years, she's just kind of, on her own. And remember, this is a very patriarchal society, and being a widow was a tough thing to be. And it's easy for us to feel pretty bad for Anna. Um, but here's the cool thing after you read the story, I think we'll all agree that Anna is, uh, she was fine with that because of the way things turn out. The second thing I want to point out is this I love this. Anna is, you might notice, a female. And there are not a lot of prominent female leads in Bible stories, but I won't let you know they're there. If you ever wondered, if you're curious, here's one. And there, there are lots of uh, prophetesses and teachers and leaders in the Bible that are females. And so Anna is a great example of that. And so let's just kind of f- figure out where she goes after this, um, you know, 60 years. It says, next verse or next half of verse 37, it says, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day. So what's this lady doing with her time? She's just praising God. So she's, she's fine. She's good. She's fasting, she's praying in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment. So I'm picturing like Simeon has just finished his job and he's done the blessings and he's done the consecration moment. And it says, coming up to them at this very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, that's all we get from Anna's story. We don't get a whole lot more. But what we see is this woman uh, who had a lot of history. And so, like, I was really trying to figure out, like, what do you say about Anna? 
I mean, you could like make up a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Like pretend what, like, what was your favorite thing to eat? What was your favorite color? Like, I don't know. But I was reading through one of my favorite commentators, a biblical scholar named uh, uh, Mark Moore, Dr. Mark Moore. I, I read him a lot. I've quoted him here many times. Um, and as he talks about uh, the life of Anna, he makes an observation that just kind of blew my mind. So I want, I want to kind of hopefully help you catch on to this story. She's 84 years old when she meets Jesus, 84 years old. Do you know any people in their 80s? Do you know anybody that's 84 years old? If you ever get a chance to speak at length with anyone in their 80s who still has their mind about them, you got to do that. Like, I love just speaking uh, to people uh, that are any, any amount older than me, just figuring out what things were like when they were a child and life was so different for them, especially than it is now because, you know, time has moved so fast in these last couple decades. And so what Mark Moore points out is that at 84 years old, she has experienced a lot of things in her life. And he, he outlines them here. First, he says, and I'm kind of going to be quoting this, so just, just hang on. These are all Mark's, Mark's observations. First, she's well-established in the temple. Okay, so she's been working in the temple for like 60 years. And so if you ever go to the temple and someone's like, hey, have you seen Anna? And people are like, Anna who? Anna from the temple. Oh, that Anna. Okay, so like people know Anna. She's a very well-respected person. These are some things that in her long life she has seen. She has seen Julius Caesar rise to power. Very historic figure, and he even comes into the Jesus narrative a little bit. She actually knew of his assassination, if you think about that. That's if you're a history buff. Like, that's, she knows about these things. She watched the steady and sad decline of the time of peace that the Jews had had. So as a young girl, she remembered a time probably before the Romans had come in and started to take over. But then she also witnessed uh, the, the rise of, of uh, this guy Pompey comes in. He's a Roman general, and he kind of takes over this region. And then Roman rule begins to rule. And she, she remembers a day when there weren't Roman soldiers everywhere. But now she, she's realized that's like part of her reality. It says that uh, she watched as the hated Herod family. You heard Herod from the Bible story. Maybe you know King Herod. There was more than one King Herod. Herod was more like their family name. And so she watched as that family came to power and became very oppressive to the people around Jerusalem. She witnessed the rise of two opposing religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you know much about the New Testament, you know they're all through it. But for her, she was like, I remember a time when they weren't doing a whole lot. She watched all this. She lived under uh, Rome's heavy taxation, and she lived under this huge, uh, very legalistic mm, religious leadership that was the time of Jesus. And so, like, this is all of Anna's life. And then the last thing that Mark points out is this. She was someone who knew that the time was ripe for Christ. She watched, and she waited, and she hoped. And we know that she was also very in tune with what God was up to because as she sees Jesus in the temple that day and she sees Simeon doing his thing, when he's done with the ceremony, she walks over and she's like, there he is. The salvation of the world. And she uses this phrase, she says, uh, the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She too doesn't see just a baby. She sees a king, she sees a savior, she sees someone who's gonna make things different. You know, Anna lived through a lot. I love talking to uh, my grandmother. She's getting to a point where her dementia is pretty bad and she's, she's living in a full-time uh, care place. And, um, but I just remember the times I've sat with her. And I remember as a kid, she would tell us stories about what it was like to live in, uh, a, 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 in America just after the Depression. And she told these stories. That, you know, in, in hindsight, it's crazy because I, I wish she could tell me more. But like 
they would like, they had this big barrel that they would like bury in their yard or something and they had kept their food in it. And it was like, you know, it was like a thing. It was a big part of her childhood. And looking back, I'm like, that was weird. And she told us these stories. She told me stories about her, I think grandfathers and some uncles who fought in the civil war. And she told me stories about, we had two brothers that one was in the South and one was in the North. And it's like this whole story. And she told, to, to hear the stories of long ago, like I, I love reading history books, but I, how much cooler is it to sit with a person who like knows the stories and it's so crazy when we think about our own lives because we think of our own generation as like we're so modern and so hip. But years from now, people are going to talk to us when we're in our 80s. And they're going to be like, what was it like during that time of terrorism and mass shootings? What was it like to like not have the internet? Was that, what was that like? When you meet someone that's so late in their life and they've seen so much, every little bit that they say is powerful. And when Anna saw Jesus, she said, this is the redemption of God's people. And she'd seen a lot, but there she stood looking into the eyes of the ultimate Savior, God in the flesh, God with us. And so just like Simeon, her cameo was quickly over. And we're left with these two unsung heroes from the Christmas story. And and the story wraps up, verse 39. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. That's the end of Luke chapter 2. And that's kind of been our journey uh, for this series, just to kind of understand Jesus' role in the life of misfits like us. This Jesus, who we saw as a baby, is the same Jesus who did miracles in villages and blew people's minds. He's the same Jesus who traveled uh, with sometimes little more than the clothes on his back from town to town to teach people about the coming kingdom of God. This is the Jesus who walked on water and calmed stormy seas. This is the Jesus that tens of thousands of people would come to follow everywhere he went just to catch a glimpse of him or to hear a word from his mouth. The same Jesus who was betrayed by one of his closest followers to the authorities and taken through a bogus trial in the middle of the night and sentenced to execution. The same Jesus who hung on a cross and looked down at the people who were condemning him and said, Father, have mercy on them because they don't even know what they're doing. This is the Jesus who was laid in a tomb and was there for three days but didn't stay there because it's the same Jesus who by his own power rose from the dead, defeating the grip of death that it has on us, destroying the sting of sin, And proving that he was indeed God in the flesh so that anyone who believes in him and puts their faith in him could have eternal life with God. This is the prelude to that story. This fragile little baby who in the middle of the night, if he got cold, couldn't go get a blanket for himself. On that day, this baby showed up in the temple. Simeon, And Anna got to see him. And you know what I think one lesson we can learn from these two unsung heroes is? These guys have been through a lot. They fought for a lot. They prayed for a lot. They had faith in a lot. And I bet there were times in their life where they were like, God, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten your people? And when they saw Jesus, they knew emphatically, no. God has not forgotten me. God has a plan and God has a purpose and God is playing it out right now in the most unlikely way because this is a God who understands our condition and so he entered into it humbly. 
And he made himself vulnerable so that we would know that he really cares. And he lived the life so that he can deal with the same temptation and trials and pains and hurts and brokenness and misfitness that we go through. And on the other end, if we could turn to him and say, yeah, you do get us. You do love us. No one wants to be forgotten. It's painful. It's inconvenient. I don't like to talk about it. So the final lesson for Christmas for the misfits is this. God has not forgotten you. How do we know? Jesus is the answer to that. For now 2,000 years, person by person, as they've heard the story of Jesus, and yeah, we're skeptical, and we've got questions, and we want to question a lot of things about God, and it says fine, I think God's fine with that. But he pulled us together, and he said, listen, person by person, you you need to tell the people what I've done for you. I came as a light in the darkness, and then you get to take that light, and you get to shine it into the darkness of this world. And he had a plan for his people. He came down to establish an island for misfits, his kingdom, the church, where we could bring all of our brokenness and all of our baggage and all of our hangups and all of our pain, and we could bring it all here and we could put it at his feet and say, I can't deal with it by myself, but you can. Thank you for not forgetting me. And I love this. Like, as we look to the rest of Jesus' life, we could look to the rest of the book of Luke. You could look at all those other biographies of Jesus' life, and you could find the things that he says. But I love that the last word we get from Jesus, it's in Matthew chapter 28, and it starts, if you want to learn you know, flip over there, make a mark if you haven't ever underlined this in your Bible. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19 through 20. This is the last words from Jesus, and there's a lot we could teach about this, but I want to focus on the last little phrase. He starts out and says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Like this message that you've heard, and go tell people about it. Teach them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And listen to this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I've not forgotten you. I'm right here with you. I'm with you uh, through my people. I'm with you through my spirit. I'm with you through the promise of renewal that I give through my son. You are not forgotten. That's the message. As we go into this Christmas season, uh, and we're almost there, it's really easy for us to get into all the other parts of Christmas. And I'm not the one who's going to stand on stage and like bash all the parts of Christmas. I think the lights are great. I think the presents are fantastic. I love the movies. Um, but then as Christians, we take this time as a memorial. You know what I find is that as, as people, we're pretty bad at remembering. We are. We're bad at it. We're bad at it. That's why we're still repeating the same problems and fighting the same battles as our great-grandparents' fault. We're bad at it. And that's why we need holidays, and that's why we need birthdays and anniversaries. I would be ashamed for us to raise our hands and see how many of us forget our anniversaries and our kids' birthdays. We're bad at it. We are bad at remembering. But don't put that on God. Because God doesn't have the memory problem that we do. God has not forgotten us. And he promises over and over that he will not leave us, and he will not forsake us. And as a seal of his promise, he came to this earth, and he gave his very self to us. You know, there was times when my dad forgot to pick me up for school. <laughs> and I don't know what he was up to. I really don't know. Odds are he was just like busy in his head and doing his work and he forgot. It's, it's fine. I'm not mad at my dad. Like I said, I'm fine. Um, I don't know what he was up to, but here's one thing. I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have had a, a loving father. I am. I know that not everybody had that chance, but here's one thing that I never wondered. I never wondered if my dad loved me. Sometimes he would forget me. <laughs> God is the perfect father. And uh, there's no perfect analogies to describe God. And here's the thing. Even when we don't know what God is up to, even when we can't find him in our problem right now, 
the promise that he's made and the thing that he's sealed and secured with Jesus is this fact and this truth that he loves us. And he hasn't forgotten us. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose for the misfit. Wherever you are on this story, whether you're a longtime believer in Jesus and you're like, yeah, I understood every bit of that. Or you're here for the first time because it's Christmas and somebody dragged you to church. And you're like, I'm not sure I caught on to most of that. Here's the one thing I want all of us to walk away from. Let's keep moving forward in that story. One more step. What is your next step? If you're here for the first time, come back next time. We got Christmas Eve service next week. Bring a friend. It's fun. We're going to have like a little mini party after church and the movie theater is going to be open. And so people are going to be so confused when they come in the door. But let's take a step forward. And if you're really deep into who Jesus is, what's your step forward? How can you serve him more? How can you maybe consecrate yourself to the kingdom? How can you maybe set apart time to continue to grow and understand the promise and share the story of God's love for the misfit? Let's just pray together this morning. God, we love you. You are good. Oh, man, you just, you blow my mind with, I said two weeks ago, this is not how I would have told the story. Um, I think, I, I don't know how I would have told the story, but you, you came up with this way. Um, a Middle Eastern girl from nowhere who was unmarried and looked down upon because she was found to be pregnant and, and you miraculously gave her a child, a, a blue-collar man, Joseph, who was from nowhere. They couldn't even afford a place to, to get early enough and, and have this child. And, and then you've got these, these people, these forgotten elderly people temple servants, Simeon and Anna. We talked about Zacchaeus last week, how he was like an ultimate scumbag misfit and you turned his life around, you gave his life purpose. And over and over and over again, we're reminded that you step into the lives of ordinary people with ordinary problems. But you bring your extraordinary love and your unconditional love and a chance for forgiveness and a new start. So Lord, I pray that that is something that can all, of us, all of us can experience today. Thank you for this island for misfits and help us to... Um, be good stewards of it, to shine light into the city and not be about our kingdom, but be about yours. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.